Hi, I'm Leah Lane, an award-winning travel writer and author of Places I Remember, Tales, Truths, Delights from 100 Countries. On this podcast, we share conversations with travelers about fascinating destinations and memorable experiences around the world. Countless wildlife films have been recorded on the grassy plains of the Serengeti in Tanzania, East Africa, and with good reason. This is the home of the great migration of wildebeest and one of the natural wonders on planet Earth. Serengeti National Park is a world heritage site close to 15,000 square kilometers, teeming with millions of wild animals. If you've been lucky enough to have traveled to the Serengeti, you understand the magic. You can take a land vehicle to follow a pride of lions or soar over the plains at sunrise on a hot air balloon safari to watch herds on the move. And if you haven't gone, there's another way to experience that magic. Our guests today are Emmy winner Simon Fuller, producer of American Idol and So You Think You Can Dance, and John Downer, Emmy-winning wildlife documentary filmmaker. Simon is the creator and producer, John the director and producer of the documentary series Serengeti, available on Discovery Plus, now in its six-part second season, Serengeti 2. The documentary captures beauty as well as brutality and the daily challenges of life and death during a year on the Serengeti Plains. You see these wonders up close, dramatizing the life cycles of the animals from different angles, seeing and understanding them in a way you never otherwise could. Welcome, Simon and John. Thank you. Hi there. Simon, for much of your super successful career, you focused on pop culture. You were even manager of the Spice Girls. What inspired you to join with John in producing this documentary series? Well, I mean, you mentioned pop culture, and and, um, that's something I'm really, really interested in. And I think in the epicenter of pop culture right now is people's uh, interest in nature and concern about the environment. And so I was very drawn to it. And I personally love nature, love my animals. And of course, as any any human should be right now, pretty concerned with the environment. And I was just really wanting to do a show that kind of had a different take on nature. And I had this idea of, you know, I think humans as a species, we're a little arrogant and we think we have the answers to everything. And I, and I tend to believe that maybe the answers to everything is comes from nature. And I was wondering how I could create a show that kind of presented nature in a different way that was more relatable to the viewer and so we saw these lives through the through the eyes of the animals as opposed to the human and as we sat on our sofas we might relate better to the animals and understand that their existence actually isn't too different to ours yeah and i had this idea while on safari um, in tanzania and i was so excited about it and the more i thought about it the more excited i became and then i had this dawning realization that I don't know how to film animals. I'm not an expert in the field. I'm passionate about it as a, as a human, um, and I could understand how it could be successful, but I needed a partner. And to cut a long story short, I did my research pretty thoroughly, and one name kept coming up over and over again as, as to someone who was best of the best. And it was this gentleman called John Downer, who I, I didn't know. I knew him by name. and We actually have some history together, which I we'd probably both forgotten, but... Um, <laughs> I tracked him down and phoned him up and said, John, I've got an idea. I'd love to meet with you and discuss it. So I flew to London to the Connaught Hotel, which is my favorite hotel in London. And we, we met in, the, in one of the, those beautiful two bars they have. And John arrived came, coming from Bristol. And I said, look, you may think I'm crazy, but this is the idea. I started talking for about 30 seconds. And John said, 
this is brilliant. I completely agree with you. There's a massive idea here. I think ever since then, we have the perfect relationship and he's the genius that captures all those wonderful shots. And, and I contribute what I believe is a, is a relatable journey for this show to, to hopefully touch Yes, more you're, more you're a terrific combo. John, you're an award-winning documentarian. Uh, you've done wildlife features on gorillas and penguins and so forth. What were some of the biggest challenges directing Serengeti and Serengeti 2? Well, we were going to tell a story. I mean, as Simon said, when we met up, we discussed it. And, but what, what was so brilliant is that kind of where my filmmaking was going and the kind of things I was thinking about were exactly what Simon was talking about. And what was absolutely perfect for this, because, you know, I have told dramatic stories, you know, dramas in the animal world, but this was something else. And the wonderful thing was, I've always been interested in the technology that takes you into the animal world, that you can see what life is like from the inside. Um, but the technology was just about to take this quantum leap into whole different areas, doing what used to be really difficult. Still is difficult, but the technology is there to achieve it because a lot of the things I wanted to do, you know, with the cameras and positioning the cameras, you know, were impossible before or really hard. So I had this array of amazing camera devices at my disposal. We tested them um, for about six weeks uh, in the Serengeti to find out you know, what was really delivering without disturbing the animals and, and would allow us multiple viewpoints on the same event. You have to have in a drama. You can't just rely on, you know, a long shot or whatever. You need those, those cutaways. You need those emotional shots, picking up the reactions of the animals. I suddenly had this toolkit to play with and some amazing talent, uh, you know, camera talent, and a lot of young people as well who were were anxious to try new things, not, not what is normally seen in conventional documentary. So they kind of grabbed this, this idea and they ran with it. And, you know, they needed obviously some careful direction in terms of, you know, what stories we were telling and how we we're going to tell them. But they, you know, put in the hard slog 14 hours, days or even longer you know, to capture the amazing material and capture it from multiple viewpoints. So there was a, each camera team had multiple cameras and ways of capturing imagery, but we had also multiple teams and they could come together or go apart or whatever. So that was quite unique and it was the perfect timing for something so, you know, ambitious as this. Well, as a dramatized story of real animals, we empathize with their lives. We root for them. We laugh with them. We mourn with them. We hope for them. And we get to know them. Uh, there's an especially moving storyline of elephants mourning the loss of a mother and a sister. And there's a, a love triangle among baboons. I mean, it's just very special in, in that respect. How long did it take to capture all of these? Well, that was just that that was just under two years, which was extraordinary. I mean, most wildlife films, you know, they take three years minimum, sometimes take four. We had to condense the whole process, but this is what I was saying about you know, multiple camera teams, multiple cameras to capture enough behavior. And it was the storylines were born out of the reality of the animals' lives. And so, you know, we had a lot of incredible material to, to draw on. And if you take that incredible scene, you know, of those morning elephants, no one's seen anything like that. No, I mean, it was you know spectacular. About, 
we know about elephants for more. And, you know, I filmed, you know, some morning scenes before, you know, the interest in the bones or whatever. But this was on another level. And that congregation of elephants together has never been filmed. And, you know, those sort of things you can't write into the story. You know, you can't write and expect to catch, capture them. So you're guided by the incredible behaviour that you capture. And that becomes part of the ongoing storyline. I mean, that's what makes me so excited about this concept. You know, it allows us to capture the extraordinary and weave it into a story that people can relate to that informs the life of the animals that we're, that we're featuring in a way you can't do with conventional natural history documentary. Right. The documentary is sometimes graphic, but not in an exploitative way. It does show fighting and it shows kills and loss, but also love. And I was worried when I watched it. I hate to see, you know, a tough kill, but it was done beautifully. I, I felt the, the natural pace of it. I didn't feel offended or, or frightened by it. I think for children, would you consider this, even for young children, a series that they could watch? I would. I would. I think that's very important. And I always try and make films that are suitable for a family. I think it's important that children see the reality of life out there. We're very careful how we edit it, not to make it graphic, but we don't shy away from it because that's the reality of the life that's out there. And so we're really cautious, particularly if it's a character that we've grown to love, how we handle any of those moments of, of death because, because of those human sensibilities. Yeah, I, I felt that sensitivity all the way through this, which I really appreciated as a viewer who loves animals. It was real, but it was sensitive. On episode six of this podcast, I talked with Paul Barracote, uh, the CEO of the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance, and he emphasized that, quote, life thrives, but it has to move. Uh, how does this movement play out in the documentary? Well, it's it's moving all the time, and, and that's what we're showing. It's, it's not... You could look at the Serengeti and say the animals within it, the lions, the baboons, or whatever, they're just going to go through the same old routine through the seasons. And although the first one was seasonally driven, the second wasn't. And most of the elements we captured that were the central storylines were not what anyone expects, mainly because animals are so adaptable. They do not go out in, as I was taught when I was doing zoology, pretty much that they were programmed to do things. They're not. They're, they're sentient beings responding to the, the problems that life throws at them. And the more you spend time with animals, you realize how adaptable and sensitive they are. And therefore, that's where the empathy comes, because you can, you can understand so much of it is like, well, that's just like us. And that is really important. And what was really important on this, this one, and took us totally by surprise and totally changed the storyline, was the storm and the floods. And that has happened because of climate change. Something so far away that was causing fires in, in Australia was causing, you know, the hugest rainfall in Africa and flooding the very animals that we were filming. But then if you see it, you see them struggle, but you see them thrive in the end thrive, or most of them to thr thrive because of their adaptability. They find a way through. That's where I think hope lies if we give them a chance. Yes. So that, that all became quite an part, important part of that storyline. It's a good lesson for us. Now, a vulture flies overhead throughout the series, looking quite beautiful in the air, but a constant reminder of the fragility of life. 
Uh, John, I know you pioneered techniques for wildlife filmmaking, in particular putting cameras on birds and filming them from the air using various filming platforms. Can you tell us about that? Well, I, I have. I've tried every technique. As you say, I, I've, I've filmed. I made one of my first films I ever made was about bird, bird flight. So I was really interested in that viewpoint in terms of how how we get it, how we use it. And it became emblematic, really, of an overview. It was almost the voice of the Serengeti, but it wasn't. You know, it wasn't ever stated what it was. But it had, it had that feeling of being up there with them. And also the, their role, what their role is within the Serengeti, because it's very easy to compartmentalise animals into goodies and baddies. You know, the baddies kill things and they scavenge things and all that. What was important there was to, you know, give them quite a big role that was sensitive to that role, you know, and vultures are in quite a few places endangered. And so that became, they're not these horrible beings. They can be, but they're trying to survive to the animal that, you know, might they might be confronting over the kill but it was trying to use it in a way that hadn't been used before and yes. also to give presence to those animals yes we I, I noted that it was it was good with serengeti 2 simon and john welcomed their entire team back from the first series including composer will gregory and oscar-winning actress lapita and young O, who has lived in kenya as the storyteller we're used to male narrators simon how do you think lapita's voiceover affects the documentary i mean i i absolutely love her voice as you say historically we're we're far more used to males i'm not quite sure how that happened for me and i know john john agreed you know the female perspective is very important you know to someone who isn't the expert that john is it, it was a little surprising for me in some ways to see how um, the role of the female in serengeti in nature generally is is quite different to how people might imagine it and you know and i think that the, the sort of empathy that a show like this really at the heart of Serengeti is is empathy and I think that mother's view that matriarch perspective is just adds to me more emotional weight to everything so I absolutely love Lupita she's sensational in every way I mean I've you know just watched her as John and and, and her go through the scripts it's just so elegant and she adds something to everything and you know and having come from you know Kenyan heritage her father still lives there it has authenticity so it takes so many boxes and I don't think we could have wished for anyone better than Lupita. Yeah, she is wonderful. It's a wonderful voiceover, I agree. Will there be a Serengeti 3? Yes, of course. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> of course there will be, yes. Yes, we have some very, very exciting plans coming, which I'm probably not allowed to share with you. But, um, I mean, John and I has turned out to be one of the best partnerships. There's plenty more coming from us. Uh, certainly oh, Series 3. I have <laughs> It, no, I mean, it's two-way. Um, you know, I couldn't have wished for a better partner. It's extraordinary that we've come from very different directions. But the same, in the same way, we, all we want to do is to bring things to, a, you know, a large audience and involve them and inspire them. And But his, the partnership between us has been really unbreakable and it's been fantastic. And we never disagree or rarely disagree if we do disagree, we find the common solution, and it's just, it's a it's a perfect perfect partnership. Well, I think it yeah, shows actually, in your work. <laughs> yeah, I was just enjoying listening to you ask John questions. I was sitting there thinking, great. I heard this before, but I love listening just to the two of you talk. So that's Aww, how good our partnership is. <laughs> that's so sweet. 
Well, hmm. the name of the podcast is Places I Remember. So I'll ask each of you to please share one special personal memory about your experience of the Serengeti. John, do you want to start? I suppose, I mean, I have so many, but I suppose most pertinent to this is that, you know, Simon said he'd found this, you know, wonderful place and, you know, the, the Serengeti and it was the Gita Reserves and he'd stayed there and and he said, you should go there, you know, and got me on a flight to go there and and see what it's really about. And I, it was beautiful. But I, I know it's so I know Serengeti so well, so I wasn't expecting it to be wow. And that's what I felt when I went there. And I think it's it's a little bit about everywhere in the Serengeti. There's there, it is a special place. And you immediately feel at one with the animals when you when you go to these places. And that's what I felt then. And it kind of rekindled my love of Africa, because I hadn't been for quite a long time. Um, although I've been many, many times, but but not not recently, and so it was a wonderful moment to say, yes, this is where I want to be, and then know that we're going to make something special, you know, from that place. That's wonderful, Simon. What about your special memory? I mean, for me, the special memory. This this sort of part one and part two. The part one was I actually. I mean, I've been to Africa many, many times to many different countries and a and, and great number of wonderful trips and safaris. There was one trip where I actually went specifically to just recharge my batteries and to think about projects in my career. And that was the trip where I came up with the idea of Serengeti. Uh, so that was obviously found and important. But the part two to that was that I got to take my three young daughters there after Serengeti had broadcast um, or as we were making it, at least, and shared the wonder of that beautiful part of the world with them. And so to see them see an elephant in the wild and a lion and all the many, many beautiful creatures we saw, to see their reaction to it for the first time. They were five and, and um, or, or actually they were younger. They were, they were three and a half and um, eight and a half at the time. Um, nothing will ever beat that for me. That's the memory I would take to my grave. It was just the, the innocence of young humans and the innocence of nature meeting and and that purity and the love no it wasn't fear actually it was just awe uh, it was just uh, that will be a memory i will, will last forever and ever thank you so much for those and thank you both simon fuller and john downer emmy award-winning producers of the documentary series serengeti and serengeti 2 available for streaming on, on Discovery+. Plus. We appreciate what you've created, and I highly recommend experiencing this magnificent presentation of nature without having to travel beyond your armchair. Thank you again. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to our award-winning podcast. We've recorded over 100 episodes of Places I Remember, so follow us on any podcast app. And new monthly episodes are also on YouTube with gorgeous video. My book, Places I Remember, is available in print and Kindle, and I read the audio version. Follow my travel writing at Forbes.com. Contact me at the links in the show notes or on my website, PlacesIRememberLealane.com, and keep making your own travel memories. <laughs>